2: CONSPIRACY UNLIMITED, WITH RICHARD
1: Serrett. He showed me the entrance to where the little people go underground. These little people look more like Europeans. He talked about them living to be like 200 years old, and that the elderly people often walk with a walking stick. And as he's taking me back in the woods so I can get to where the entrance is to this place, he said, now look there, and along this narrow little tiny footpath, there are these little square imprints in the ground. And he said they have square-cut walking sticks that the elderly little people use when they're walking in the woods.
0: If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes, or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than two dollars per month. Why not sign up today?
2: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett, pursuing the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption, and the secret machinations of powerful elites.
0: Mary Joyce is with us. She is the founder of the website skyshipsovercashier.com and she's an author researcher living in North Carolina. Uh, in hour one, we talked underground military bases and UFO bases. This hour, the Cherokee little people legend. Mary Joyce, welcome back to hour two. How are you holding on there?
1: I'm doing all right. Thank you very much.
0: Terrific. Skyships over Cashier's Uh, Just give us a little tour of that website. What are we going to find there?
1: Uh, Let me just kind of read off the headings. On the homepage, we have different categories. We have Editor's Corner, where I do videos and podcasts, and there's information about my books and things of that nature. Uh, We have um, Skyship Photos. We have uh, Deep Throat Testimonies, which come from uh, people who are usually in high places and do not want to be identified, uh, we also have a section called Global Links and Undercover Operations. Uh, underco- uh, undercover Operations and Deep Throat Testimonies are kind of related um, because many times we're dealing with the people who do not want to be identified. Uh, we know who they are, but uh, they don't want it out there publicly. Um, we have Global Links. Um, we have Cosmic Miracles. Uh, we have one on health and safety and um I think I've covered most of them there. And And one that's called Skyship because that just is a catch-all where we have cutting-edge topics that uh, are cutting-edge but don't necessarily fit into one of our categories.
0: Right. Now, how is it that people have come to you now, whistleblowers, people who want to talk about underground bases and so forth, but how is it that you have sort of established yourself as the go-to person in North Carolina? You know, People trust you. They want to reveal these things to you.
1: For many, many years, I worked for corporations and big newspapers and things of that nature. When I came to North Carolina, I just took those hats off and I started managing a health food store because certainly I could help people that way and I'm interested in that kind of thing. But it also gave me time and energy and freedom to do some of my own projects uh, that you simply don't have time for when you're working for a major corporation. Uh, So that put me in a position that I didn't expect would have so many benefits. When you're working in a health food store, people uh, open up and talk to you. They see you on a regular basis. They ha- they develop a trust. And I can honestly say that uh, many of the stories initially started because of that little management uh, job at a health food store. Uh, that's how I first learned about the little people. That's how I first learned about the underground basis. I don't know if that's how I first heard about Bigfoot or not. That probably came in some other way. But people want to trust you. So that's where the trust started. And uh, when I was dealing with the Cherokee little people and talking to the Cherokee, they, more than other people, uh, aren't going to open up with you unless there's been some sense of trust that's been developed. Otherwise, they're simply not going to talk to you. When I was doing the, um, uh, the book on the Cherokee little people, I was interviewing old timers, most of them in their, uh, probably 80s when I was interviewing them. And when I realized that nobody had their stories, I decided I needed to write them down and preserve them before all these people had, you know, would pass on. If I hadn't gotten in with one of the old timers, I never would have met all the rest. If I had just shown up on somebody's doorstep and said, I hear you know about these little people and these little people tunnels, they probably would not have talked to me because the old mountain people and the Cherokees aren't exactly anxious to talk to you.
0: Right. So let's get into the Cherokee Little People. And the book is Cherokee Little People Were Real. These old timers that you talk about, these were people that were working, uh, building a university campus, correct?
1: It was back right after World War II. And the first man that uh, opened up to me was well-known in the community. He was in his 80s. He had been a World War II hero, had survived the uh, death camp uh, march, uh, had been a pastor in the area for like 40-plus years. He was highly regarded. And uh, again, I met him at this health food store, and we were talking about the little people, at which time I just kind of dismissed the little people as just, you know, old Indian tales. And he said, no, there were really little people. And um, he said that when he was a young man, uh, he was helping with the construction at Western Carolina University. And when they would cut into what supposedly was virgin soil, uh, and this, this soil on the campus is this dense red clay type of soil. And these little tunnels uh, would be like three and a half feet high, um, typically. Um, they would be square cut, but they would have a rounded arch at the top. Uh, which would make the tunnel more stable, and they would find these when they were putting in sewer lines. They would find them when they were constructing new buildings, and um, you know these these uh, people were many of them in some aspect of construction, and uh, so one of them would lead me to another one, and I had many interviews on my days off on Saturday around kitchen tables, uh, hearing the stories and. I don't know if any, I think one of the people I interviewed is still living today, so I am so glad that I did that.
0: And how did they put two and two together, that these tunnels were somehow connected to this legend of the Cherokee little people? Did they find fossils? Did they find bits of pottery?
1: They found skeletons. One of the professors uh, in the science department for many years kept what he called a child's uh, skull on his desk like a decorative paperweight, and he said it came it must have come from the indian mountain that was uh, demolished well um, i think it was a high school english teacher was there one day and picked up this little skull and said this is not a child's skull it has all of its wisdom teeth and so that was a type of evidence also so when you combine the t- uh, the tales of the cherokee about the little people which you still hear today and uh then the little skeleton and the vast network of uh, tunnels found over, uh, you know, quite a large area, um, it becomes rather convincing. What happened
0: to these skeletal remains? Were they stored away somewhere?
1: This is the first time that I've been able to answer this question this way. The last I heard was that some of these things were kept in, like, um, a forensic vault at the um, university. And then I uh, ran into an anthropology student at Dunkin' Donuts and got into a conversation with her, and uh, she said that within a, a year or maybe two years ago, uh, they had sent all of these things off to the Smithsonian, at which time I just groaned, because um, I've done reviews on two books. Um, I can't come up with the titles right now, but they're both about um, the tremendous evidence that giant skeletons have been found all over the country, Uh, going back to the, I think, 1800s. And these were so often shipped off to the Smithsonian and never seen again, never heard of again. And so it appears at this point that the Smithsonian um, chooses to add, they want to keep history as we have been taught. They don't want things to change. And so things that are like an anomaly that don't fit in with their idea of history Uh, those things get buried, and it's very, very sad. So when I heard that these things had been shipped off to uh, the Smithsonian, I thought, oh, we'll probably never see those again, and uh, that's regrettable.
0: And any idea as to how many skeletons were shipped off to the Smithsonian of these little people?
1: I do not know. I only concretely know about the the little skull with the uh, wisdom teeth, uh, that multiple people had seen so that is you know something i absolutely can confirm uh another person who graduated from the anthropology department a number of years ago um said that they also had two uh giant skeletons in that forensic repository at the at the campus and that they had six toes so um apparently there was quite a bit uh that was sent to the Smithsonian and I'm sure those giants went the way of the other giants back into some deep closet at the Smithsonian.
0: Right, right. What about tools or other artifacts uh, affiliated or associated with these little people?
1: The closest thing I know of is a man that I interviewed who is here in Silva. He has his own construction business and he was uh, involved in a construction project where they had to literally cut away part of a mountain uh so they could get enough level area to build this facility or building and in the process they found these little tunnels and he said that the uh you could see tool marks on the inside walls of the uh, uh these little tunnels that um, you know had been used like a almost like a, a fork type thing that had been used to uh, um finish off the walls of the uh, tunnels and he said the tunnels were as fresh as if they had just been made and they had cut into a mountain that had been there forever, uh, but the soil was still damp and moist and uh, you know it wasn't full of cobwebs or anything that would indicate it had been neglected for a long time.
0: So these old timers, these are not Cherokee. What is the legend of the little people that comes down from the Cherokee?
1: The Cherokee, call them the moon people, the Cherokee originated in the Great Lakes area. When they moved to the North Carolina mountains, they found these little gardens that were well tended, but they didn't see any evidence of people. And then eventually they saw these little people that would come out from the ground and tend the gardens by the light of the moon, which is why they were originally called moon people. Um, But then, um, you know, they eventually got the name of the Cherokee little people. Um, I don't think all the little people look the same, uh, the ones in this area are described as looking more like the Cherokee people that we see today living today. And if I were to rewrite my book, I probably would have to change the title because uh, I've talked to many people who um, still believe and have reported seeing or interacting with um, uh, little people to this day. Ah. So. Uh,
0: All right. What other details. Can you give me about their
1: physical description? Okay. Here in this immediate area, we have the ones that look like the um, Cherokee. Then there was a type that had red whiskers, um, and from what I can piece together, must look more like the Irish leprechaun. The Cherokee people did not like those, and they would try to kill the, the ones with the red whiskers. They only like the ones that look like, the, like themselves. Um, and then there's the reports of those moon people um, having a blue tint to their skin, perhaps because they were underground all the time. Um, uh, they also had the bigger eyes, which makes them sound alien. So those are three descriptions. The only ones that are remaining today, which indicates that they may still be alive in, in the most remote areas of the mountains, are the ones that look like the Cherokee.
0: A remarkable legend, the Cherokee little people, although we're probably talking about more than one, I guess, species of little people. We have the moon people that have a bluish tint. We have the Cherokee little people that resemble the Cherokees, albeit in miniature form. And then we have, well, you describe them as resembling sort of leprechauns. They have red hair, red whiskers. What is it about that particular group did the Cherokee find so disagreeable that they would try to kill them.
1: I do not know the answer to that, and I have asked it, and I, I just do not know how to answer it. Uh, it is interesting that, um, I'll, I'll tell you one more thing about this. We had a major flood here in the 1940s, and I'm talking uh, historic flood. And there was this little five-year-old boy who found uh, what he called a lead head. Uh, it was an oval-shaped uh, medallion uh, that got washed away, and um, near a church on the old Tuckasee River. And um it has like a leprechaun face on each side of it. And he called it his lead head because it was very heavy for its size, so it was only about an inch and a quarter um in length. And it truly looked like a leprechaun. And in my book about uh Cherokee Little People were real, I have a picture of that medallion that he found uh next to a, a drawing of a uh, um um Irish leprechaun, and believe me, they look similar, the same kind of long-turned-up nose and the pointed ears. So, um, the diversity with the little people is uh, great.
0: And did they all create the same sort of tunnel-type structure?
1: They all seem to have uh, a place underground. And uh, you and I briefly spoke about uh, my being contacted by somebody in eastern Tennessee who had uh, read my books and seen the website and he said he had little people living on his land Um, I called him up and I talked to him and he sounded sane so I figured he wasn't just giving me some kind of a BS story and two of us from the website Evelyn Gordon and I went to his land and he has beautiful land that's been in his uh, family for generations I think it's about 200 acres Uh, it's both rolling hills by a river and a whole lot of wooded area, and when we went there, uh, he showed me the entrance uh, to where the little people go underground. Um, he talked about many things, I don't know how much you want to get into it, uh, but these little people look more like um, uh, Europeans. He said they wore uh, leather pants that were more like the lederhosen, or lederhosen and hosen, and He said the shirts were like the military uh, war in the West with the double-breasted buttons. Um, He talked about them living to be like um, uh, 200 years old um, and that the elderly people often walked with a walking stick. And as he's taking me back in the woods so I can get to where the entrance is to this place, he said, now look there. And along this narrow little tiny footpath, there are these little square imprints in the ground. And he said they have um, square-cut walking sticks that the uh, elderly uh, little people use when they're walking in the woods. And uh, then we also found a, it was difficult to see, but we found a little footprint. Um, lots of things that just sounded very interesting. This man uh, comes from a line of uh, Uchi Indians. The Uchi Indians had pretty much disappeared. The original ones were described pretty much like looking like Europeans. And at the time I was doing the research on this, um, I'm always looking for other ways to confirm what I'm hearing. And in the process of looking for the confirmation, there was a brand new um, report that had been published by a man whose name escapes me right now, but he is an expert in Southeastern Indians. And in this article, which he had just recently completed research on, there was a major flood in Europe, especially uh, in Ireland, uh, many, maybe thousands of years ago. And the people fled by boat and some of them ended up in the Savannah uh, River area. And then they went up the river into Eastern Tennessee. Um, it, it, we've heard for all of our lives about the, the uh, Irish having these little people so maybe uh, when they fled Ireland some of the little people came with them uh, this man who looks totally white now uh, but he, his father and his grandfather all were able to communicate with the little people uh, uh, mostly telepathic But this man always carried three by five cards in his old pickup truck that he would use to travel the land. And, um, he would sometimes write a question or a note, print it on a three by five card and leave it by their cave. And when he would come back, uh, there would be brief, um, printed answers to his questions. But on one of the cards, which I still had, he gave it to me, um, it, it says, please um, talk, you know, by tele- telepathy uh, rather than writing. They didn't really like to write, um, but they were able to print in English.
0: Interesting. And and what, uh, my gosh. Da-da-da. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, it seems like all I'm doing is telling you things that sound like science fiction or fairy tales, and yet there seems to be enough evidence to back up so much of this in the world that we live in if we just look at what's around us on a daily basis it's so mundane with what's really going on at deeper levels no matter what the subject is
0: well you mentioned earlier these tunnels were about three and a half feet tall so we're looking at maybe some sort of a humanoid that's two and a half three feet tall perhaps how could they avoid detection for so long
1: I've been here for 20 years now uh, I've been in areas where they are, uh, it's it's usually very wild um, areas where people just don't go. Um, so for example, on the Cherokee Reservation, uh, the most reports about the little people is in an area called uh, Big Cove, and that is the most remote section on the reservation. And you have to go way, way up the mountain, uh, and that's where... People still uh, seem to interact with the uh, with the little people. Uh, one woman, a young woman in her 20s uh, that I met at a restaurant, got into a conversation with her, and um, again, eventually, after trust is built up, uh, I met with her, and she told me about when she was a kid, they were all playing hide-and-seek up near a trailer up in the Big Cope area where the family would go for um Picnics and you know uh, outdoor gatherings, and all the kids, including her, uh, were playing hide and seek. Well, she went to go hide in the um, bathtub of the trailer, and when she pulled back the curtain, there was a little uh, little person in there, just grinning, but great big grin. Of course, it scared her to death. But uh, um, nevertheless, you still hear stories like that. You also hear stories about people who actually still put food out for the little people. And sometimes, if they don't put it out, um, the little people will start throwing stones on the rooftop just to remind them that they're there, Uh, which reminds me kind of a feral, like our feral cat that keeps coming to our door uh, to let us know that it needs some food.
0: Right, right. So, you have managed to gain the trust of the Cherokee people in your. Your area. So do they all believe in in little people? For them, it's just common sense?
1: The only reason that they have been quiet about it for so many years is that the white culture would laugh at it. So they started stories like, well, if you talk about the little people, you're going to die, which is totally stupid because uh, one of the men that I interviewed about uh, the little people at the university, he was in his very late 80s when I met him. He had been talking about little people since he was seven years old. His father had um, uh, a mica mine and um, four of the men that were working for his father went out um, again to work in the mica mine. And when they were digging, they were digging in one direction and they came across an old tunnel uh, that was running perpendicular to their tunnel. And, uh, uh, they were, the men were all excited, came back to the house, so as a seven-year-old boy, he heard these men telling about, finding about this little, uh, tiny tunnel, um, and he's been interested, he was interested in, in little people all of his life because of that. So, clearly, you don't die if you talk about little people.
0: Right, right.
1: There might have been some parents who used it as a way to keep kids from going too far. Sure. Little people might get you.
0: Right, right. Are there any stories of children being abducted by little people?
1: I hear about them historically. I don't hear about any of that going on today. So I guess the answer is I've heard it historically. That's it. What about photographic evidence? Ah, we do have something. I've been trying to get some kind of photographic evidence uh, the whole time I've been up here and and learned about the little people. And one of the um, people who follows the website uh, called me up and was all excited because they had a web, um, what do you call it, a hunter's ca- a camera stationed outside their place, like a trail cam, and, uh, yeah,
0: a trail cam.
1: Yes, yeah, and apparently some kind of bird had triggered it. So what they found was in the background in the woods was what appeared to be a little person, and um, it's a. Uh, you know, it looks like somebody from the backside, it, this picture was taken in August, it was hot. Uh, from what we can see, it looks like the little person was not wearing clothing. Um, and I don't know what to say. Um, uh, the people who got the photo wondered if maybe it was just a the spirit they were seeing in the woods. And so I did an interesting experiment. I took that photo and turned it up to high contrast. And when you do that, uh, anything that's living goes from, let's say, white to a magenta color. So then, by contrast, I did the same thing with ghost pictures. And when you do that with a ghost picture, they the ghosts still stay, stay white. So this little figure in the woods went to magenta, which indicates it was a very living, breathing creature, not uh, a spirit or ghosty kind of uh, figure in the woods. But that was 20 years in the making before we got that photo.
0: They are elusive.
1: That is posted on the website. I wish that my memory was good enough to tell you where everything is, but sometimes if you type in our search bar, um, photo, Cherokee, little person, you might Get to
0: it that way. All right. Mary, you stay with us and we will uh, come back on the other side and talk some more about little people. And perhaps time permitting, we'll get into Bigfoot. A lot of strange things going on in the great state of North Carolina. Stay with us.
3: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. Tis the
0: season to give the perfect gift, C60 Evo organic oil elixirs and facial serum sets. And here with another sleep tip is the co founder and chief scientist at C60 Evo, Chris Burris. Chris,
3: welcome. Richard, thank you so much for having me. So, my tip today is regarding, uh, and sometimes this can be controversial, it's regarding alcohol. So, a lot of people believe that if you have a drink right before you go to sleep, that it can actually positively impact your sleep. What most people don't realize is yes, it will knock you out. But what it does is it actually interrupts your natural sleep rhythms. So you're not getting the rim and the in-rim sleep that you need. So if you're going to have a drink and, and there's good data that suggests having a glass of red wine in particular, and the resveratrol in it is actually good for you, make sure you're doing that about two hours before you're going to get to sleep. You want your, you want time for your body to metabolize the alcohol and get it out of your system. And again, uh, if you're, if you don't drink, don't start for this purpose, <laughs> but if you do have that one glass of, uh, of alcohol. Specifically, I would recommend red wine about two hours before you get some sleep so you can make sure it doesn't negatively impact your sleep. I always like talking about sleep. Our most consistent testimonial for C60 Evo is that people take it in the morning. They report mental focus and energy during the day and then better sleep that night.
0: I've been taking C60 for what, two and a half, three years, sleep like a baby. And I don't mean I wet the bed and cry all night. I
3: mean, I, <laughs> I
0: sleep soundly like a baby. C60 Evo Pride, Products deliver noticeable benefits to people and pets around the world. Immunity boost, deeper sleep, more energy, mental balance, flexibility, and longevity. And don't forget to visit the website c60evo.com forward slash Richard hyphen c60evo.com forward slash Richard hyphen Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. Chris, always good talking to you. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so
3: much. Thank you.
2: Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, Here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five.
0: Mary Joyce stays with us. We're talking Cherokee Little People. The book is Cherokee Little People Were Real. You were talking about a photograph that you've posted on your website, skyshipsovercashiers.com, and people will just have to log on to the site and kind of dive deep into the site. They'll find it, no doubt. But after all these years, one photograph, any other compelling evidence, a footprint, a bone fragment that is you know, hasn't been hidden by the Smithsonian, anything at all.
1: I do have photographs of uh, the little footprint that was found when I was in eastern Tennessee. I guess that doesn't tell you very much, but it was pretty convincing because this piece of property is, you know, people just can't get to it. It's rolling land on one side, but the, the woods are not accessible to anybody but the people that own the land. So uh, I was very fortunate to be able to go back there. But all I came back with is photos. Oh, I should add this. I told you about the man carrying the three-by-five cards, and he would leave notes at the entrance to their cave. Yes. Well, every time that the little people would return the answer, they would write it on the back side of the card, and then they would leave it with a little tiny crystal uh, stone on top of it, which I thought was kind of interesting.
0: Hmm. Do you have any of those crystal stones?
1: I do. I do. The man was – uh I had them stored in um, – a container that he gave me that's uh, originally used for 9mm uh, bullets.
0: So. <laughs> and where do they find them? Do they mine these crystals? Are, are, is there anything unusual about the crystals? Uh,
1: at certain places around the mountains you can find them. They were not huge or something that would be like a collector's item. Typically they would be like, a, um, I don't know, half inch uh, in in length or maybe three-quarters of an inch at the biggest they were not polished or refined. They were just um, like fragments if you shattered something.
0: Right, right. So they seem friendly enough, but it sounds, all in all, they just want to be left alone. Is that your assessment?
1: Well, they're the ones that uh, were so uh, adamant. They wanted this man, uh, we call him Xander, wanted Xander to do something to protect them from and protect the world from the, what the people they call the Dominators, which are... Apparently, even worse than reptilians. Uh, uh, I don't know if they're the same as the draconians, or but they are very um, power hungry and with almost like soulless evil creatures. And these little people are uh, very, very afraid of them. And uh, I think they're simply afraid they'll be eaten by them.
0: Do you think these dominators are running these joint U.S. UFO bases in North Carolina and elsewhere?
1: Mm, God, I hope not. How's that for an answer? Um, The most that I normally hear about are reptilians and greys. Those uh, people, including myself, who've had contact with uh, the ones that are more spiritually evolved, uh, that would fall more into the category of the Pleiadians or the Nordics, uh, they don't abduct people. They don't... um, uh, terrorize people. Uh, they make contact telepathically with you. Uh, they only appear if it's really necessary, and it's done in a way that doesn't scare the you-know-what out of somebody. Um, the reptilians and the greys could care less, and they uh, traumatize many, many people and scare them to death. Um, and so, personally, I want nothing to do with them.
0: Well, if we're talking about uh, Nazis or you know the next generation of Nazis running these these bases, uh, it would stand to reason that they would you know like attracts like. They would be cavorting. Well, they would be cavorting with the reptilians or the draconians, don't you think?
1: Uh, probably that makes all sense. All uh, the reptilians seems to be for sure. Yes. The Draconians or the Dominators, I do not know if that's a class unto itself. I do not know if they're involved uh, with the Nazi operation or not. I just simply do not know.
0: Let's talk about uh, Bigfoot. North Carolina, of course, the Smoky Mountains, the, the Blue Mountains in North Carolina. This must just be Bigfoot Central. It's so mountainous and remote. How does North Carolina stack up uh, with the rest of the country in terms of Bigfoot sightings?
1: Uh, Most of the activity that you hear about is certainly in the western part of the country, in Oregon and Washington and in the the western mountains. Um, But we have them here too. And again, like the little people, they're in the more remote areas. Um, They go to great lengths to uh, try to avoid us humans, though there are those who are able to make contact with them. We even did our own experiment here. Um, There was... um, a place where the uh, Bigfoot were crossing on a regular basis. They would come down this very, very steep, steep mountain uh, where there were caves way back in there, and you had to be really, really a mountain climber to even get close to them. And they would come down and then cross to where there was a uh, there was a gravel road, and across the gravel road there was like an apple tree, which and they would go and get the apples. There was also a pond, which they would go down to the pond. So in that area, we started doing an experiment with food, and uh, we would put out uh, different kinds of food uh, in one particular spot, just to see what they liked. And uh, uh, you know, uh, it was, and they did come around. And what was interesting, at one point, the food was put into a, um, a beer cooler, one that would take hold it, a six pack. And the food was put in that, and the lid was just cockeyed a bit, and then it was left in front of a, like a tunnel through the laurel bushes. And uh, the Bigfoot was very cautious of putting its hands apparently in anything, and it um, would tip it over and get the things out. But unlike any other creature, it put the lid back on. Um, A bear or any other animal you might think of would never put the lid back after dumping out the food content. Um, Another occasion, uh, a woman who lives in the area had her garbage and garbage bags ready to take out the next day. um, Because around here you have to take your garbage to the dump. You don't have garbage service. And um, when she got up the next morning, um, the garbage bag had been carefully untied and certain things taken out of it uh again that is not the behavior of a regular animal a regular animal would have torn the bag open but this was you know carefully untied so there's no other people around so we're left thinking that uh, uh it was probably the bigfoot i think she also heard some bigfoot sounds uh that night so that kind of made it kind of conclusive And
0: how about you? Any close uh, uh, encounters with with Bigfoot?
1: I have seen, um, uh, well, I can tell you a couple things firsthand. One, I've seen the footprints, you know, fresh footprints, and some of those I've taken pictures and put them on the website under the category ETs, Bigfoot, and other beings. Um, Then there was um, a mountain man, young man, probably in his 40s, not an old mountain man, and he took me to a place where, uh, he would go when he would hunt and there was a cave where he said the Bigfoot would take shelter. And to get there we went way up to the top of a mountain on a gra- and we ended up on a gravel road. Then we walked about a half mile from the road, uh, to where this cave was. Well, when we first started walking into this, we, we heard this, uh, sound that sounded like a bird but didn't really sound like a bird. And then further down the path, in the direction we were headed, uh, there was an answer—the same kind of mechanical, kind of different um, bird sound. After that, everything went silent, and I, to this day, feel like one bigfoot was on guard, letting know that the other ones know that there are some people headed in their direction. And uh, I saw the footprints there. I saw the caves. Uh, And, again, those have been posted on on the website.
0: And how about the... uh, I've
1: also lost lost some money on Bigfoot. Um, We we had a hair sample, a pretty good hair sample. And if people want to see that, just type in Valley of the Bigfoot, and that's a pretty complete story. Um, I sent some of that off to uh, a DNA lab, and... um, All they could tell me was that the maternal side was uh, human. Uh, There was no nuclear DNA in uh, the sample that we had. Uh, If you follow the the work of Dr. Melville Ketchum and some other ones since then, the uniqueness of the Bigfoot is found on the paternal side, which can only be found in the nuclear DNA. So in other words, you'd have to have the hair follicle, in order to get that. It wouldn't be enough just to have the hair strands. Um, so we spent some money having that done. Another time, we found some very unusual poop beneath the, I believe I should call it scat, uh, <laughs> beneath this apple tree I've referred to. And since we'd seen so many Bigfoot prints in that area, we decided to send that again to uh, the DNA lab. Well, once again, I lost the money because... Um, it um, proved to be I think a white wolf or a white fox, I think it was a or a gray fox, and uh, so I have not done well in spending my money on on DNA samples. I will be very cautious before I send it in
0: <laughs> well don 't be dissuaded keep keep uh, keep fighting a good fight um, and what about the uh, the, the the tales uh, the legends of of Sasquatch having some psychic ability? You mentioned the little people. Communicating telepathically. We also hear this characteristic ascribed to Bigfoot. What do you think of that?
1: Yes, I agree. Bigfoot uh, does, um, you know, communicate that way. They also make uh, regular physical sounds. And again, in that E.T. and Bigfoot section that we have on the website, we have um, a really great recording. We don't get credit for it, but uh, uh, the Bigfoot is sounding like uh, a samurai warrior. And there are different words that have sometimes been picked up of different languages in uh, the Bigfoot language, and it's kind of fascinating to um, to listen to that. Uh, the man who did it, and I'm not going to be able to think of his name right now, but he uh, did um, voice analysis and things for the government when he worked, uh, uh, you know, for the military, and he has great credentials, and it's fascinating to hear it. Uh, So they communicate at two levels, both telepathically and in a very physical way.
0: Also, we hear about the connection or association between Bigfoot and UFOs. What can you tell me about that?
1: Well, I can tell you that we are seeing the Bigfoot in the same areas that we see lots of UFOs. Uh, So there are people who, like um, Kiwani, who's done so much research, like a lifetime's worth of research on the Bigfoot, and he definitely makes the declaration that there is a connection. Um, I don't have anything firsthand that would be able would allow me to definitely say that. Except we see these two two things in the same area repeatedly.
0: Do you care to speculate what might be going on? Are they hitching a ride? What's going on?
1: Hmm, now we're playing guessing games. There's there's only theories out there. There's theories that. Uh, the bigfoot are the the eyes on the ground uh, or some in the in the ships uh that probably sounds as good as anything else um perhaps the bigfoot are simply being protected by the ships i don't know
0: what is it about north carolina uh i mean there are certain locations around the united states you know, we hear about Skinwalker's Ranch. I recently did a show on southwestern Pennsylvania. That seems to be a hot spot for paranormal activity. What is it about North Carolina, do you think?
1: Um, I think that one, one possibility is the fact that beneath these mountains, there are caverns and caves. So those can be used or expanded on. The people who do the underground bases, perhaps they start with an underground cavern and then it expands from there um the Bigfoot uh, often shelter in caves and uh, underground so uh, you know it's a good survival type place um there is a mountain here called Whiteside Mountain. it is a crystal mountain and it is speculated that um, um, that's used as an omni by the by the ships that come in uh, and as you know the crystal is used even to this day I think in computers and, uh, electrical equipment of different kinds, so maybe it's the the minerals that are here. Um, and as with most things, there's probably more than one reason things happen. It's never just one thing, usually.
0: And what are you working on now? What's uh, what's your next project?
1: Well, the thing I'd like to tell your your listeners is that we posted a, a video. It's on the home page. It's, I think, one, two, three, four, it's the fifth from the top right now on the right-hand side. We have something. See what's new on this website. Fifth item down. It's called video interview about the big about Bigfoot encounter, and it um, elaborates a bit on uh, what we uh, encountered uh, in the Valley of the Bigfoot. It is one of the more dramatic stories that we have with the Bigfoot, um, and I think most people would find it very interesting. The original article can also be found just by typing in Valley of the Bigfoot. Finally, just tell me
0: a little bit about uh, your book, Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind or "Left Behind for Us to Find.
1: What we've done is um, it is information uh, about Jesus that goes beyond the Bible, and it's things that have been discovered by scientists and archaeologists and just great um, evidence that's um more like a detective uh, would be convinced of the information.
0: Would that be? Would that, include so the, only, would that include the Shroud of Turin?
1: We do cover that. That's just one of the things that we cover. We cover the Jesus family tomb, uh, which again is probably, I don't know if we have time to talk about that or not, but it's kind of interesting how um, concrete evidence is coming up for the man. There was a, stop me if you want to go in a different direction.
0: No, no, just keep um, going. We have a couple minutes here.
1: Uh, archaeologists uh, found what they call the family tomb of Jesus. And during uh, the time of Jesus, uh, during a hundred-year period, they, the Jews had a very unique burial custom, which did not exist before and has not existed since. And what they would do is outside the walls of Jerusalem, they would cut a tomb for the family into the side of a, a mountain. The center area would be like large square entrance type place and three walls would have niches in them. When somebody died they laid them out in that big room, closed up the tomb until all the soft material had disappeared. They would come back a year later and put the bones in a, um, a stone box called an o- ossuary. Then those ossuaries would be placed in the niches along the side of the big room. The most important person was buried to the right as you walked in the door. and Uh, In that first niche, there are three ossuaries, all with inscriptions on them. One is Jesus, son of Joseph. One is uh, the the familiar nickname for Mary, and it's preceded by uh, the name Mar, which is for the equivalent of a Lord for a woman. So she has a title, and so we have a Mary with a title in the same tomb with or niche with Jesus, and the third one is Judah, son of Jesus. In the other notches or niches, there are other family members that people would recognize the names from the Old Testament. Uh, There's one for his brother Joseph, who he called Josie, that was a nickname that Jesus gave him. Josie is inscribed on that one particular box, not the full name. That was not the custom. The custom at that time was to uh, do full names and no nicknames. So here are uh, two uh, nicknames that are used, one for Mary and one for uh, Joseph, the brother, um, and they were nicknames that Jesus used for um, his family members.
0: Fascinating. Well, next time we have you on, Mary, we'll delve into that in a little more detail. That's tangible evidence of Jesus left behind for us to find, and of course, Cherokee little people were real, and uh, underground bases hidden in North Carolina. The uh, the website again is skyshipsovercashiers.com. Uh, Mary Joyce, thank you so much for this. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's always a joy to talk to you.